Assalamu alaikum. I'm Latasha Russo, Executive Director of Sapelo Square, and welcome to On the Square, a special podcast brought to you by Sapelo Square in collaboration with the Maidan, where every month, Sapelo Squad get on the square and into some real talk about race and Islam in the Americas. Thank you for joining On The Square. And today we're just going to get right into it. Um, my guest is Salima Suswell. And to start us off, I'm going to read Salima's bio, which is quite extensive. Salima Suswell serves as National Senior Advisor and Pennsylvania Executive Director for Engage, the nation's largest Muslim American civic engagement organization. Salima is considered one of the nation's emerging leaders and top strategic thinkers on the local, state, and national level. Salima also serves as CEO and president of Evolve Solutions, a management consulting firm founded in 2010. Salima's noteworthy contributions include her role as director for the Philadelphia E-Coalition, who made history by leading a successful campaign to obtain the recognition of the two Islamic holidays, on the academic calendar for Philadelphia Public Schools, her role as chair of the Muslim American Host Committee for the 2016 Democratic National Convention held in Philadelphia, her role as Pennsylvania Deputy Senior Advisor for the Biden-Harris 2020 campaign, and her role as vice president and key organizer for Women's March on Philadelphia, which drew over 60,000 attendees. Salima serves on the Leadership Council for the United Negro College Fund in Philadelphia chapter. In 2017, Salima made history as the first Muslim woman appointed to the Governor's Advisory Commission on Women by Governor Tom Wolf. In 2020, Salima was appointed by Mayor James Kinney to the Mayor's Commission for Faith-Based and Interfaith Affairs. In 2023, Salima was reappointed to the Governor's Advisory Commission on Women by Governor Josh Shapiro. In 2018, Salima founded the Philadelphia Ramadan and Eid Fund, which is a nonprofit organization that oversees the annual Ramadan Iftar dinner at City Hall, Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha festivities, community food distributions, youth programming, a toy and gift giveaway, and more. Salima has received distinguished honors and awards from the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, Pennsylvania State Senate, Philadelphia City Council, the Women Up Organization, City and State Magazine, the Muslim Youth Association, the Philadelphia Public Record, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the prestigious F Fatima Gamble Legacy Award. In November 2019, Salima was honored by the Philadelphia Inquirer as a diversity and inclusion pioneer. Last year, Salima was named as a faith leader to watch in 2022 by the Center for American Progress. In 2023, Salima was presented with the Keeper of the Flame Award by the United Negro College Fund. So I want to um, just thank you, Salima, for agreeing to be a guest. Um, my voice may not reflect it, but I am really excited to have this conversation with you. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Latasha. First, uh, after reading that accomplished bio, I um, gathered that you're very passionate about civic and community engagement. And oftentimes those passions come from either our family, our friends, our environment, and sometimes even the lack thereof. So my first question is, who is Salima? 
Who is Salima? That's a that's a great question. Um, Salima is a African American Muslim woman, a uh, a wife, a, a mother, a, a daughter of community leaders. Um, my father, Imam Aslam Abdurashi Rahimullah, who we lost last year, was a um, prominent imam, um, not just locally in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, but nationally. He was a pioneer um, in, in, in the um, community and helped establish the practice of normative Sunni Islam in America. Um, my mother, who um, still today works as um, the chief operating officer of a community development uh, corporation in Nicetown, um, Philadelphia, has, has been a community organizer and a champion for community all of my life. And so um, I am the daughter of the Muslim community in Philadelphia. I, I'm the daughter of the Dar es Salaam movement. Um, my parents um, uh, were members of the Dar es Salaam community and the community of Imam Jamil, um, Imam Jamil Alameen, uh, when I was growing up. And, and so um, this, this is where um, um, my roots are, are, are tied. And, um, you know, I, I grew up um, w with humble beginnings um, in, in Philadelphia. And um, I remember at a very young age, uh, uh, being a part of community marches, whether it was my father's community in West Philadelphia trying to get the drug dealers off and call them drug pushers when we were young. You know, I remember um, the call and response where we would say, drug pusher, drug pusher, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. You know, we would march up and down the street and those drug dealers did not stand in the blocks um, that were, you know, surrounding and, and close to our masjid where we grew up because they knew they couldn't, you know, there was a respect there. Um, and, and we fought for that respect to protect our community members. Um, and um, so, so that, that instilled a lot in me growing up. And, and so as an adult, um, I, I will say that, you know, my life and the, the way I live and the way I serve, the way I work is centered um, in what my upbringing was, um, watching my parents give their lives to community you know, uh, really, really impacted me. And, and, you know, I always wanted to, um, to live up to, to the standards that, that my parents um, established for me and my siblings. I, I, I come from a large family. Um, uh, my, my parents have nine children together. I'm number five, right in the middle. Um, uh, what else can I say about who I am? I, I was married young. I got married at 17, had my first daughter at 18. Um, her name is Layla, and um, then became a single parent, and 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 that kind of pressed me into, um, you know, sort of um, hard work and 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 being motivated to accomplish more because I wanted to provide a life for my daughter that you know I felt that she deserved. Um, so you always want to try to sort of do better for your kids than even what you had growing up. So that was my goal was to give her everything that you know, um, she needed. And, and so that's how I started. Um, when I, when I, uh, I went to college and when I first graduated college, I did paralegal work and, and, and I'll talk to you more about how that led me into other areas of, of, of service, uh, to community. But, uh, that's who I am. I, I am, uh, again, a daughter of the Philadelphia Muslim community, a daughter of the Dar Islam movement, 
and the daughter of parents who, who gave their lives to community. Alhamdulillah, wow. Um, as you were just stating all of that, a lot of that, what you mentioned, you know, brought like visions to my mind of, of community, right? And I see that you have a lot of different perspectives that you can, you can view from. And so when I listened to what you were saying about, you know, your parents were heavily involved in, in community and um, they came from the community, you know, were around the community of Imam Jamil Alameen, may Allah uh, grant his release. And um, I, I wonder how that community engagement and involvement um, led you to get into politics, to choose politics, and to remain in politics. So if you could just kind of elaborate the transition from community involvement, and is there a transition for you, or is it the same thing? Absolutely. So when I was, I worked as a paralegal, you know, fresh out of college, and, and I actually um, really enjoyed uh, working in, in, in the legal community. I, I, I uh, worked at um, pretty prestigious firms, uh, international law firms, and had great opportunities to work with really um, brilliant attorneys who actually, um, I, 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 I actually started with, um, I was working at a firm called Pepper Hamilton and they would, uh, the, the um, election uh, protection work is something that became really popular for attorneys and paralegals to do. And election protection work is just when you go out to the polls make sure that all the signage is up, that there's no voter intimidation, that everyone has their right to, you know, are, are able to exercise their right to vote. And we went around, you know, different locations um, in the inner city um, to make sure that uh, voting was protected. So I did that for a while. And that's like kind of the, what initiated my work in, in politics. Um, after that, I started working on campaigns just through volunteering for friends who were running for office. One of my um, dear friends, um, who is now a senator, uh, Senator Sharif Street, um, he started, you know, as a attorney, actually, he worked at a law firm that was right up the street from the firm that I was working at. So we would see each other often. And um, he asked me to help work on one of his first campaigns. And, and Senator Sharif Street, he ran for office maybe three or four times before he actually got elected as a senator, mashallah. Um, and that and that happens um, often. Um, so uh, I think his first campaign that I worked on with him was for a city councilman, and um, he ran for uh, state representative after that. So I would help him, you know, um, with with these cam with these campaigns, and and I really learned a lot through volunteerism. You know, I learned how to fundraise, I learned how to get out the vote, and whether that's canvassing and leading field teams, um, and just strategy around how to be successful and. Um, become a viable candidate and, and, and how to really, you know, um, uh, uh, have success in elections. So um, so just, again, volunteering. I also worked with Omar Sabir, who is a dear friend of mine and is now a city commissioner, um, city, city um, councilman Curtis Jones Jr., who I later um, started working with um, uh, and, and helped to raise funds for his campaign. So after volunteering to do a lot of these things, you know, um, first at first when I was a paralegal, 
um, I decided, um, I, I always thought I would go to law school and, you know, so I started doing paralegal work initially. Um, and then I kind of decided that law school wasn't really for me. Um, I had so many great opportunities as a paralegal and doing trial work. And I, I decided that I wanted to um, study business and start my own firm. Um, so that's what I did. I started my consulting firm and, and I really just started to um, offer professional services in these in these um, things that I build skills from as a volunteer in, in community on these campaigns. Um, so I started doing political fundraising. I started doing, you know, um, communications work on, on campaigns. And, and I was uh, a, political, uh, a political director for a, a campaign. And so oftentimes I would be, I would also work, have the opportunity to work with Muslims who are running for office because it was important to me to have people in office who look like me, who were from the same community as me and had the same values um, and morals that, that the people in my community had so that they could help to advance, you know, um, sort of uh, the, the goals of our community. And, and, and I can talk to you more about, you know, how through, you know, getting folks elected to office because I think we have been able to um, elect eight African-American Muslims to public office in the Pennsylvania, um, mostly Philadelphia area. Um, and that's a judge, uh, a city council person, two state representatives, a city commissioner, um, a sheriff, um, a, a state senator. And our state senator, Sharif Street, is also the chair of the Pennsylvania Democratic Party at this time. So these folks have really powerful positions at all levels of government. And we've been able to sort of leverage those relationships to ignite change for, for Muslims in, in Philadelphia and across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So that is what has fueled me. And, you know, I, I know I, 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 like I said, I started with doing sort of like volunteer work and, and then um, honed the skills to, to do the work professionally and sort of built my, um, my firm and my practice um, from there. And so I know you mentioned initially you wanted to be a lawyer, right? In, in your volunteerism and your just involvement and being surrounded in that environment, it kind of changed your traje trajectory a little bit. So what initially was it that made you want to go into law, to be a lawyer? Is it the same thing that you're doing now as far as seeing representation in those spaces? Actually, you know what it was? It was always for me, and, and it's the same as the work um, in politics, establishing change. Being able to, you know, I, I just, I always thought that, you know, when I was, when I, I wanted to be, you know, uh, a, um, an attorney from a young age. And I think I just would see like, you know, um, attorneys or, or courtroom dramas with TV. And I thought it was so cool to be able to go into court and argue a case and defend a person. I thought I could do that. I know that I can. I know that I can defend a person. I know that I can put forth a case and that I can be successful. I just, I thought it was so cool. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a trial lawyer. You know, I wanted to be in the courtroom before judges. Um, and, and, and so I actually got to spend a lot of time in the courtroom as a paralegal and, you know, as a senior paralegal, um, putting together all the evidence. I learned that honestly, that the paralegals were doing most of the work, you know, pulling together the evidence, putting together the case outlines, you know, um, you know, uh, I was doing pretty, you know, um, 
intense, you know, work and, and, you know, working on trials. And I did a lot of work like in insurance and reinsurance. And, um, and then we did pro bono cases where we were, were, were helping, you know, maybe I, I worked on a case where it was a homeless individual who we helped to get social security. So I worked on a, on, on a very, on, on various sort of like a diverse set of cases. And honestly, I had, I, I, I was able to experience what, what I always thought that, you know, um, I wanted to, you know, being in the courtroom, being that person, I remember I would, I always, I don't know if you saw the movie, um, A Time to Kill. That was like one of my favorite movies because again, I used to love all these courtroom dramas. And um, I, I remember that moment where Sandra Bullock comes in and she slides Matthew McConaughey this document that like saves the day and saves this case. And I was like, that's who I want to be. I want to be the person behind the scenes that's saving the day, that's pulling together, you know, the evidence that's that, that supporting the person. I didn't, I always felt like I don't need to be the person. And that's, that's very um, true to, to this day because many folks have asked me, where do you want to run for office? Where do you want to run? And I always say, I like the, being the person in the background that's like making it happen. I think that there's even more power in that than there is in sometimes being that elected official at times. That's just what I think. I don't need to be the person. I like to be, in the background, behind the scenes, organizing and making things happen. So that's that's kind of um, why I enjoy. I, and I did paralegal work for twelve years. I, I did it for a while, um, and you know I did paralegal work for firms, and then I worked with the um, uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office as a healthcare fraud investigator and, and litigation um, administrator. And, um, and I really enjoyed, you know, the, the time that I worked in the legal community and actually the skills that I developed with organization, paying attention to detail, drafting briefs and, you know, um, writing, um, a lot of extensive writing that I did and research, um, all of those, uh, skills that, that I acquired during my time as a paralegal, um, have really supported the work that I do to this day. Okay, so I, I just want to go back just a little bit. You you said that um, you don't like being the person, but from that bio I read, <laughs> you are the person. Just want to make that clear. Mashallah. <laughs> um, and so um, when I'm when I'm hearing you talk about you know being in the courtroom, being the paralegal, and I know that you know many people may not know that paralegals do a lot of the grunt work for the mm-hmm. lawyers. Um, like when you were in those spaces, um, how was your experience in those spaces um, as a as a black woman? You know what? Um, as far as you know, maybe how race could have played a, a some kind of part in that, or or the things that you may have seen that just kind of got it under your skin a little bit. When I was a young paralegal, you know, um, there were times that I kind of felt like, you know, there were maybe like some comments that, that, that would be, that would be made. Um, and I haven't thought about this in years. Wow. Um, but I, I had, um, an experience with an attorney and she, it wasn't just specific to me. Um, she was just sort of, you know, abusive as, as an attorney, um, so you hear those stories about employee abuse and, you know, people being mean to, to the people that work under them. So I had sort of an experience like that. And, and it, it wasn't, I don't know if it was racial because she had this experience with, with other, many other folks um, from like different backgrounds. But there were times that I felt like the way um, she 
commanded things of me that were like even beneath what a paralegal should be doing. Um, I remember um, I was working on a draft of a document and I was, uh, I had like marked it all up and, and, and um, she threw it in the trash and, and she told me if I wanted it to get it out the trash. Um, yeah. And, um, and then she told me, I remember she told me once, um, she was like ordering lunch for everyone, um, during the trial. And she told me, you know, I consider this to be your job. You should be ordering our food. Um, so there were just like certain times where I kind of felt like, you know, um, there were, you know, just things that happened to me because I was, I was young, you know, I was, when I was doing the, uh, the paralegal work, I was like in my early twenties. Um, and um, I think because I was just like, I was young, I was this young single mom and, you know, first out of college and everything. And I think that, so I, I think that, you know, sometimes um, people took advantage of me and I was the only black paralegal at that firm. Um, so I'm sure that there were some racial tensions there, but I've never been one to be like overly sensitive about, you know, when it comes to race. I, I, I try not to be. Um, I, I just think some people are, are truly ignorant and, you know, that's just the way that they are. Um, so for the most part, I took it as an opportunity to just have, you know, the experience of working, you know, um, high level cases at a prominent law firm on my resume. And, um, you know, I, 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 I was asked once, um, I, I worked um, for a short while at another firm. Um, at one point, I had moved to New Jersey, and and I worked uh, at a at a firm there. And um, I I had worked literally for months on this case. In the morning of the trial, the attorney that was the managing partner on the case, he asked me if I could remove my hijab before I went into the courtroom because he thinks that like the jury would be biased. And I remember being so like, I, now that was probably like, now that this experience is really what, you know, um, sort of catapulted, you know, my work in like um, civil justice and civil rights and, and like volunteering with organizations like CARE and, you know, because I was just like, I couldn't believe that this person had um, discriminated against me, you know, in this way. So um, I remember calling my father because I was like, do I have to remove it? Like I was actually, you know, wondering if, you know, if I actually had to remove it. And ultimately I, I told him, you know, this, this is my religion and I'm not going to remove my hijab. So you need to make a decision about whether or not you need me to support you in this case. Um, or if you're going to go without, um, because I'm not going to remove my, my, my hijab and he went without me. Yeah. And, um, and I remember, uh, I remember I stayed in my office and I just bawled. I cried like a baby because I had worked so hard and everybody was like, where, why aren't you at the trial? Like what's, you know, it, it was like noticeable that, you know, this big trial had started and I had worked on it so hard and, and I wasn't there. And, um, yeah, it was, it, I left the firm, uh, a couple months after that. I just like another job and left there. And I, you know, I talked to people, my dad wanted me to talk to care and I spoke with people that care about it. And, um, ultimately, uh, 
I, I just, I was like, don't send them a letter. Like, just, I didn't want to pursue anything. I was just like, just, I just wanted to move on. So that, that that's sort of my story around, you know, discrimination. But, you know, it hasn't always been easy, you know, to be in these spaces. Um, you know, Philadelphia, over the years, you know, working in Philadelphia, now that was in New Jersey, but over the years working in Philadelphia, you know, the Muslim community has grown so, so to be such a large community that people are familiar with African-American Muslims. And so the bias isn't, you know, so outward as, as it maybe once was when I was younger. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it's always a struggle. Yeah. Um, you know, and you recounting that, I'm sure a lot of Muslim women can relate to those situations, especially being young or um, coming in contact with that for the first mm-hmm. time and not knowing what to do. And um, so, yeah, that's that's something I think that you handled gracefully, you know, and it's good that you had the support of your father there as well and, and guiding you to, you know, who to speak to about those things. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of brings me to my next question, which is... Um, how has Islam and the way that you put your faith into practice, which you kind of, you know, recounted there, um, how has it shaped the ways in which you interact with, you know, your community and the spaces that you're in, um, basically on your day-to-day life, wherever you go, how, how does Islam shape that for you and how do you put that into practice? Yeah. Um, I, I, I always, uh, refer back to, you know, my father, you know, being the daughter of an imam, faith has always been at the forefront, you know, of, of how I live, you know. Um and um I I I watching my father dedicate his whole life to Islam, um, which sometimes meant that he had to sacrifice time with family, you know, it was sort of always sort of my my um the way I embraced him, you know what I mean? And, 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 and I'll even say, you know, I, I, I invested a lot of time in faith-based work initially because I thought it would make my parents proud. I thought it would make my father proud, you know, and, and that really meant, you know, a lot to me, but also it, it just, it was such a huge part. I mean, we always spend time at the masjid. We always, like, like the Muslim community was like, closer to us at times than like our blood relatives because that's who we spent most of our time with. And so it was something that just always was, was a part of my life. And, and, and again, you know, um, it was really meaningful to me, um, uh, watching the way my parents, you know, serve the faith and, and, and I wanted to do, you know, the same thing, uh, in many ways. And that has, you know, uh, shaped the way that I, um, have, devoted a lot of my work, like, you know, founding, you know, and we'll talk about that later, I know, but founding a nonprofit organization that was specific to, uh, you know, Ramadan and Eid or, or working on policy initiatives that, 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 uh, advance the, the unique needs of, of Muslims. Um, you know, uh, just, just working, um, with Engage, you know, an organization that focuses on, you know, civic engagement with uh, the American Muslim community and building the uh, Muslim electorate and, and, and advancing, you know, voter turnout for Muslims to build power, you know, for Muslim communities. Um, all of that work, it's like, it's like what, what I love to do, you know, and, and it makes me feel like 
it's not just like, you know, a job. It's just, it, it, it's, it's really, you know, the work that will be the imprint beyond my time on this earth. And that's what would really, um, you know, ignites my passion to, to sort of serve peace of the Lila, you know, for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to do so. That kind of made me remember, I think, how I initially kind of like heard about you. It was like through social media. And one of the first posts that I saw was, it was just, I think, a picture of you engaged in the community. And um, I think the caption was something along the lines of how much you enjoyed doing your work. Like you were like, you know, I get to do this every day. So... To me, it it shines through that you're passionate about it, that you love to do it. And um, and so when you talk about the history, like your family and and, and your community, uh, you know, I just see that as uh, an extension of who you are now and what you're doing now. And so in, in speaking about that, I just wanted to know how or if the the black and or black muslim history of civic engagement has that been a, a sense of comfort or inspiration for you as you navigate these political arenas and spaces the current climate previous cl- political climates um has that just been a source of comfort or inspiration for you during that, those times absolutely absolutely you know um and I've written op-eds about, you know, the history of Black Muslims, uh, the history of Black Muslims in America, how, you know, so many of the West Africans that came over during the transatlantic slave trade were practicing Muslims. And so the Islamic faith has been a part of the fabric of American society since the very early years. Um, so our history plays a huge role in that. And, and, and also the way we sort of navigated civic engagement in the early years, you know, as a community, whether it was through the Nation of Islam or through, you know, H. Rap Brown's work or, you know, um, the, 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 the pioneers of, of the Muslim community, they were already two steps ahead of us as it relates to becoming politically, you know, organized and, 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 and you know, fighting for the rights of Muslims and, and the empowerment of Black Muslims and Black people you know, um, through service. And so definitely, you know, um, our contributions, our excellence, our power, you know, all of it is, 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 is always, um, central to the work that I do. And I, I remember, um, I was asked a question at that same firm that I told you about that I worked at in New Jersey. One of the, um, attorneys asked me, she said to me, um, why do you think that Islam has spread so much in black communities? And I remember I didn't really know how, I was young, I didn't really know how to answer that question. I think I said something like, you know, um, it started with the Nation of Islam, and, you know, and then that, you know, from there it, you know, grew um, and, you know, and talked about the WD Bahamas community, you know, kind of um, uh, being a second generation um, from that uh, nation. And, um, I told my dad again, I talked to my dad about that. And um, he said to me that, you know, the next time someone asks you this question, you need to say that when, you know, he said, I have a book for you. Um, and the name of that book was called Service of a Law, African Muslim 
Enslaved in the Americas. And it was written by um, Sylviane A. Joe. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book, but my father gave me this book and it spoke about our history, the history of the West African Muslims who came over during the slave trade, the way they practiced, the way they had to sort of, you know, even when they couldn't be outward and, and you know, vocal about what their practice was, the way that they um, uh, uh, secretly practiced and worshiped Islam um, and, and, and sort of how powerful that was to their um, hope for salvation, you know, when they came to, to the Americas. Uh, and, and I was just so fascinated learning about that um, because I, I hadn't known before then that, you know, our ancestors that came from West Africa were practicing Muslims and that Islam, you know, was inherently a part of, you know, um, our way of life from, from, from a very um, early time. Um, so yes, uh, the history of, 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 of black Muslims, uh, it has helped me to, to navigate our current um, political climate and, and just knowing that, you know, black Muslims make up the largest percentage and right now, I think we're 28% of the overall American Muslim community. And I think that we should be leading, we should be, that should be reflected in, in the leadership of the community. You know, we should be telling the stories, we should be leading and, 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 you know, at the forefront of these conversations around Islamophobia, because Islamophobia started with black people, you know, black Muslims, you know what I mean? Um, there, there is a anti-black, there's a very specific anti-black Islamophobia that needs, that requires attention. And, you know, um, I always also talk about how we made it possible for some of our immigrant, um, brothers and sisters to even come to America and to thrive and practice, you know, Islam. You know what I mean? The the immigration, um, the 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 immigration uh, rights came after civil rights. You you know what I mean? And you know the immigration act came after um, the civil rights act, and it made it possible in many ways um, for 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 Muslims to to practice Islam. You know, in America, and I think that Black Muslims have to be the leaders. You know, we have to be leading these conversations around empowerment. Um, for, for American Muslims, you know, of, of, around um, the needs for American Muslims. Because while, you know, oftentimes, you know, there are many, you know, sort of foreign policy issues that, that are being spoken about in the American Muslim community, which we, which we respect um, and, and, and we want to uplift. But the issues that have always, you know, been prominent for, for American Muslims, particularly um, black Muslims are domestic policy issues. So it's education, it's health care, um, it, it's fair housing and affordable housing. And, you know, uh, what, when you talk about health care, you have to talk about black maternal health and maternal mortality, you know, um, criminal justice reform. And, you know, all of those things that, that are the key topics when, when you're, you know, um, in these political spaces or even when you're, you know, looking to um, make a decision about who you want to be your your next president. You know, these are the things that you want to hear from them about, you know, um, as American citizens. And so, um, yes, I think that, you know, our, our history um, as Black Muslims in America has definitely um, been central to how I navigate the current political climate. I, I totally agree with you on that, that um, we should you know, be leading these causes um, in in our current society. And um, I just wanted to 
to state before we move on. It was it was just something that kind of has been standing out for me um, when you speak and, and answer the questions that, you know, it's beautiful in, in the way that you speak about your father and the advice that he gives you and, and that you have gone to him, you know, for advice, right? On these, on these just kind of, you know, as you're navigating life, you know, throughout the years. And so uh, I think that speaks volumes without actually stating it, you know, how you bring him up in your conversation about, oh, my father told me this, this is, this is what you need to do. This is, you know, how you answer this question. And um, I just wanted to make note of that. It's it's just my own personal thing Um, in stating the importance of, you know, fathers, black fathers and, and making that a point to, to highlight that in, in your conversation that you've had uh, with me. But going back to, to civic engagement. So, you know, one of the biggest things that we have now, you know, voting elections and how important those are. And when, when I'm in spaces with people and we have these conversations, there's always this this idea flowing around that, you know, voting doesn't matter, um, that everything is rigged, the system is rigged, and they, quote unquote, are going to get the outcome they want. And there's really no, there's really no basis in, in, in going out to vote. And, um, or you hear, you know, it's just choosing the lesser of two evils argument, right? And so I wanted to ask you as a Black Muslim woman in the political arena and all that particular, all those particular identities come with, you know, Black Muslim woman. Um, And and also looking back on everything that you've accomplished, uh, why do you feel that it's important for Black Muslims to be involved and contribute to political aspects of society, specifically voting. And, and you know, I say Black Muslims, but just Black people, people of color in general. Um, why is that important to the community and to those who are eligible to vote? It's often that when I'm out in the community teaching about civic participation, teaching about civic education, um, trying to mobilize the vote where um, community members say to me, well, my vote doesn't matter or even, you know, I don't trust politicians or, you know, is voting harm? You know, it's, you know, I've heard that as well. Um, And I always answer these questions by reminding our people that it is literally stated as in the Quran as a commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to seek justice. It's it's in Surah Nisa, to seek justice. Even if it's against our own souls, you have to seek justice. Um, and so that is what we do when we vote in elections. We are never going to become, or we are never going to maintain power as a community if the decision makers don't feel as though we are we are active participants in the political process. Elected officials are engaged based upon checks and votes. If you don't have a check or if you don't have a vote, just don't even expect an elected official 
to listen to anything that you have to say. And, and, and that's just what it is. It's real. And so we have our constitutional right to participate in elections. And it doesn't always mean that there's never, I always say, there is no perfect candidate. You, we're never going to elect a president that's going to do all the things that we want them to do, nor the mayor or our, or our other, you know, local representatives. But you have a stake in in this in this in this. You know what I mean? And being a part of um, electoral um, politics, it means showing up. You know what I mean? So not just voting for them, but showing up. These elected officials have community events. They have uh, district offices where you can go to and you can talk to these people. And 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 I don't actually believe because I have so many friends that are elected leaders and that I know are doing great work, at least here in Philadelphia, that I can speak vouch for. And I don't think that it is as common that elected leaders are not doing the work or that they're corrupt as 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 one might think that it is. I, I think that it's the exception and that it's not the rule. And I think that, again, if we want to see justice for our communities, if we want to ignite change for all of the issues that, that I, some of those policy priorities that I just mentioned, healthcare, you know, even something as, as, as simple as how your taxes or how your tax dollars are spent or the potholes in, in the street where you, where you drive, you know, you know, having, access to halal meals in, in schools, hospitals, and prisons, you know, um, having eat holiday off, which is something that, uh, you know, I'll talk about later that we've worked towards, you know, here in Philadelphia to, 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 to have those changes. It was, you know, the elected officials who are Muslims um, and others who were supporters of the Muslim community and had Muslim constituents who helped us to advance those things through legislation. Um, and through relationships, you know, with the school district or, you know, even even other matters um, is as simple as, you know, children being able to wear a hijab while play, competing in sports. You know, it, it, it's, these things are all influenced by lawmakers and lawmakers are elected leaders who we have the control to to make who, to put in office or to unseat if they're in office and not doing a good job. But you have to be a part of the process. You can't be on the sidelines, you know, with all of this sort of feedback if you're not participating in the political process. So that means not only being registered to vote, but actually voting and showing up and making your voice heard. Okay. And so I'm going to go on the other side of the argument, right? Um, You know, when you do show up, you know, they put all these things in place to try to stop you from showing up, um, you know, called voter suppression. So what are your thoughts on voter suppression tactics, Um, you know, such as closing down polling sites, um, which result in people waiting in longer lines for hours, um, purging registers? And um, I'm in Georgia, so I think one of the, I I don't think it's, it's, a thing now, but there was this aspect of criminalizing people who provided water to persons standing in line to vote. So just kind of those tactics, um, what are your thoughts on those? And um, do you believe those tactics are effective? And um, what do we need to do as citizens or communities to make sure these tactics hold no weight? 
Um, this is a really important question um, because voter rights suppression um, is a huge and growing issue in our country. And it's one of um, the very things that Engage Action focuses on as one of its priority policy priority areas. And, you know, voter rights are an inherent part of our democracy. Uh, and so to see them being stripped away in so many ways in these 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 various tactics, such as changing ID requirements, purging voting records, um, limiting poll place hours, and th- these things are all a direct a direct threat to to our democracy. So um, what what I think is is positive uh, to note is that so many organizations and individuals are cognizant of these issues and, and they've been working actively, especially in coalitions to stop these attempts and to make an even bigger um, change with protecting our voting rights through acts such as the John uh, R. Lewis Voting Rights um, Advancement Act and the, and the Four uh, People Act. Um, we, we, we are proud at Engage um, that accomplishments in these voting rights efforts, um, including our 2018 efforts to restore voting rights and, di- and disenfranchised voters, I'm sorry, um, in areas like Florida, for example, which we're, we're, um, we saw a lot of uh, suppression tactics. Um, it, I think it's a sign that, that our right-wingers are scared of our power. Um, you know, uh, I think they know that uh, those who are seeking to disenfranchise us um, as minority communities um, and, and as vulnerable um, individuals just do not believe uh, their bigotry and their discriminatory worldview. Um, and, and, and I think that fact, um, the fact that they are scared is, is a sign that things are, are actually changing. Um, and, and so I think it's something that um, many folks are paying attention to. And I think that we, we will be able to eradicate some of these issues um, through, through our continued um, work um, through the uh, civic engagement process. So what, what type of specific instances of impact have you seen that, you know, makes you think, um, you know, this is working? Like our involvement, our civic engagement, us going out to vote, those things that that this is working and we need to continue that? Well, I would have to say definitely some of the policy um, changes that we were able to cause um, in my city uh, where I'm from, Philadelphia. Um, Back in 2018, we were able to um, work uh, with our lawmakers um, to get uh, the Eid holidays on the public school calendars in Philadelphia is where it started. And this is something that I watched my, you know, elders and, and pioneers in the community, including my parents, tried to do for almost 20 years. Um, and um, it just never happened because we didn't have the right folks in place to to make it happen. And so we had a, a campaign called, um, well, we, we started a coalition called the Philadelphia E-Coalition. And um, we worked with lawmakers and community organizations and community leaders. And just after a year of campaigning, we were able to have the city do a resolution um, City Council did a resolution to establish the Eid holidays, both Eid holidays on the public school calendars, and um, we we uh, we were able to um, to make this happen. And and you know uh, since so this was about collab you know uh, collaborating with lawmakers with with city officials, um, but also with community. Um, and it was one thing you know that 
all community agreed on is that it was a matter of fairness. And with Philadelphia's Muslim community being so large, it was hard for them to say no to us. So since um, making that change and just knowing that students and, and, and staff are able to enjoy, you know, the Eid holiday without making a decision between their education and 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 practicing their faith that they can have the day off, and that folks that are not of the Muslim faith who also have the day off are learning more about our holidays and our way of life. That is huge, and that was one of the first big policy um, initiatives that we we had success in. And six since we were able to establish. Eid holiday recognition in Philadelphia, there were 15 more school districts outside of Philadelphia across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that have also added Eid holidays to their academic calendars. So I think that that is really a big deal. Um, uh, Really quickly, there was a case um, with the Pennsylvania Interscholastic um, Athletic Association where um, a referee asked a Muslim student to remove her hijab in order to play in a basketball game. And um, again, we were able to work with state legislators um, to get this rule changed. And once the rule was changed, not only could Muslim students, but uh, wear headgear is what they call it when they um, compete in um, Pennsylvania sports. But um, they it also um, supported um Jewish students that were yarmulkes or Sikh students that were their turbans. You know, it was something that um, would, would uplifted, you know, the diversity of many groups um, to 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 not have to, you know, um, go through too many channels to wear, you know, their religious um, head um, coverings, which is honestly their constitutional right to do so um so that and then just you know also as i mentioned before electing you know folks to office coming together as a community um to elect black muslims to office that's huge i think that in philadelphia there are more black um, muslim elected officials than any other city in the nation you know and 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 being able to build that power in 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 the um the, the birthplace of our nation, you know, Philadelphia, uh, where, you know, uh, uh, the Commonwealth was was founded up, upon principles of religious inclusion and 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 um, and religious uh, uh, tolerance um, is 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 again, um, I think, amazing and um, has has also um, shown that you know we are making a difference. You know, we are making a difference. I, I think you know. It's still we still have a long way to go, but but I think that we are um, building some power, and and you know just our our state um, Democratic Party chair is a black Muslim. You know what I mean? Um, again, that it, there there is no other state that has a party chair that that is Muslim, much less um, African American Muslim. So I think we're making great strides based upon our work and our dedication, and 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 I think that um, the best is yet to come. Inshallah. Um, and in listening to you, I heard a few things uh, where a few things came up for me. One um, was in regards to when you were speaking about, um, you know, Philadelphia incorporated the Eid holidays into the public school system. And you mentioned that, you know, that not only provided, you know, uh, the days that we celebrate for Eid to be recognized and for 
um, you know, Muslims to be able to celebrate those days. But also it provided um, a sense of education to those who were not aware of it, right? And so in in looking at it in that way, it's a form of um, combating Islamophobia, right? Um, Teaching people about who we are, what we do to make it not scary in a sense, you know, that they're not afraid of it. Um, And then also it allowed for, you know, it made the way for other religious um, faiths to be able to um, practice as they feel necessary, right? Um, but the the other thing that I I heard and I continue to hear when you talk about, you know, voting and elections and things of like that is the the local level. So if you could just kind of let us know how important it is to vote and to know the people that you're voting in or who are on the ballot on a local level, as opposed to just like presidential elections. Oh, that's so important. It's such a good question because oftentimes, you know, we're only coming out for presidential elections. And honestly, it's the local elections that really control our experience, you know, on, on a day-to-day basis. So your 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 city council elections, your mayoral elections, your state representatives, your judges. Judges make huge decisions about the lives of our, you know, citizens, you know, of, the, of many of which are African-Americans who are in the, the system. And, you know, um, one of the things I'm, I'm working with an organization called Reform Alliance um, on, like, you know, um, probation and parole reform. And that's something that that whole system is just like so flawed and, and, and just impacts, you know, communities so much. And that's, again, through legislation. It's a Senate bill um, that Senator Street and some other senators um, have are sponsoring that will, you know, reform, you know, probation and parole reform. You know, I mean, will we'll reform probation and parole, you know, for formerly incarcerated um, community members. So all of this is very, very, very important. And, and I mean, even as, as, as simple as like your commissioners, the, the register of wills, I mean, all of these positions, these local positions, they impact your day-to-day life. You know, how your taxes are spent, how your... Uh, how how your streets are cleaned, you know, when they pick up the trash, you know, um, what's what you know, what's happening in, in public offices, you know, how many libraries are available to 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 to, you know, the youth, you know, what 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 kind of funding our schools are, are going to have. All of these things are directly in it's state legislators that are controlling these budgets, you know billion dollar budgets for the state that that these state legislators are making decisions about that greatly impact, you know, um, us on a day-to-day basis. So very important. And so you, you kind of mentioned a little bit what my next question was going to be for those who are not able to vote. Like, how can they contribute when, when you're not able to vote, such as those who are on probation or parole? Right now, I will always I will I always say that civic engagement is for everyone. So at all stages of life, even if you are underage, you can participate in the civic um, engagement process and and make a positive difference in your community. Um, We are actually doing an event. Um, on October the 13th at Philadelphia Masjid, and it's specifically about 
voting rights for the incarcerated and the formerly incarcerated. Because um, there are some conditions in which incarcerated individuals, like if they're waiting for a court date and other instances where they can actually vote. Um, and Commissioner Omar Sabir, who, you know, commissioners are preside over voting and elections, he's a Muslim and he's going to be speaking to this, you know, community of formerly incarcerated Muslims in this event that we pulled together with Reform Alliance and some other community um, groups um, to, to speak specifically to this. And then there are many times where formerly incarcerated individuals think that they can't vote, but they can, you know, in, in many um, circumstances. So it's all about educating folks on on you know what they what their rights are and and also at Engage Pennsylvania we have plenty of opportunities you know for volunteers and even you know recently have trained a, a group of young people on how to run for office um you know um you know because i think that that's important as well not just voting but more of us should be running for elective office because that's when we are truly going to see change for our communities is when we have the power to make those decisions, to, to change those laws and, and to change those policies that impact, you know, um, our communities. And, you know, we actually have our um, nationwide emerging leaders program. And this Saturday is, is going to be our Pennsylvania um, emerging leaders program. And, and it's all about focusing on empowering um, young people to be leaders and, and helping them to forge skills um, and connections so that they um, can be prominent um, members of, of society. And, and I heard you say education um, in regards to those who are, who have been formerly incarcerated or are on probation or parole. It, it depends on what state you're in, which governs Absolutely. those laws, right? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. I, I did want to just uh, before you we ended the conversation to to talk to you about PREF. Mm -hmm. And so if you could tell me a little bit more about, you know, the organization you founded in 2018 and PREF stands for Philadelphia Ramadan and Eid Fund. So mm -hmm. first of all, why did you see a need to start the organization? Um, and do you feel like it has been uh, a direct relationship with your work with Engage and um, what experiences or impact have you seen come from it? Mm. You know, um, PREF is like my baby, you know, the Philadelphia Ramadan and Eve Fund. It, it, it's one of the projects that are most important to me. And, and and it's because it's about giving back to community. Um, so it's not at all connected to my work with Engage. You know, um, I first started uh, the Philadelphia Ramadan and Eve Fund in 2018 because, you know, we had been hosting these annual um, iftar dinners at City Hall. So, you know, it was actually Councilman Curtis Jones Jr., first Muslim councilman in Philadelphia, uh, who, who suggested to me, you know, you should start a nonprofit to, you know, continue doing these events. And so I thought about it and I said, well, if I start a nonprofit around, you know, um, Ramadan, um, then I, I want to include Eid. And I also want it to be, you know, this philanthropic project that supports families, um, you know, um, through, you know, um, through, uh, through the holidays, through Ramadan, in, in as well as Eid. And so um, 
In 2018, we started with doing the 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 iftar dinner at City Hall. Well, we had already been doing it, but we in tw- when we started the organization in 2018, we we did we it was our first official you know um, event under the nonprofit. And then in 2019, we held a really big um, Eat in the Park Festival. Um, and um, it was attended by over 15,000 Muslims from like the tri-state area. And um, it was huge. I mean, people, um, Muslims in the community, they talk about this event uh, uh, to this day. And, and it was, you know, it was diverse. It, it, you know, it was all about unifying the community and bringing everyone together to experience Eid. You know, it was for Eid al-Fitr in, again, 2019. And then after that, the pandemic happened. So we decided, how can we support families, you know, um, to have Eid, because, you know, in 2020, folks had Eid holidays at their home. You know, a lot of people prayed at home. And, um, you know, so we wanted to, we, we did this program called um, Meals on Wheels and Family Fun or something we called it. And we um, delivered so much stuff. Like we delivered like a three-course um, halal, catered halal meal um, for a full family. We had these big gift baskets that had like gift certificates in it and toys for kids and book bags and, you know, all these, you know, different things that were in these gift baskets. Um, and, and, and we, we, and decorations for their house because we wanted them to have their own sort of party, you know, Eid festival or party inside of their homes, even, you know, during the pandemic. And, and the reason why PREF is so important and the work that I'm mentioning is, you know, the things that I'm saying that we, we do are important to me is because, when I was a child, it, it points back to my childhood again. When I was a child, Eid holiday was as important to me as Christmas is to, you know, other kids. So so I would literally stay up the night before Eid, you know, and stay up all night waiting to open gifts. Um, and, and, and I remember it being just these sort of big festivals similar to what we did with Eden the Park, super nostalgic for me. Um, and, and, and everyone would come out and celebrate Eid together. But what I also remember is my parents couldn't afford to purchase gifts and toys for me and my siblings. And so I remember very vividly that my mother used to go to a local charity called the Salvation Army. I don't know if they have Salvation Army in in Georgia, but they they have this, they they do. Okay, so they have a charity called the Salvation Army, Army. that um, is, um, I think, a Christian-operated, you know, um, charity, and um, and 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 like I said, I had this vivid memory, and we we appreciated it, and we we enjoyed all our toys, and it really didn't, you know, impact me as much back then. I just thought it was kind of normal, you know. We were we got our toys, you know, from the Salvation Army, but growing up and reflecting on that, I thought. Why can't we have an institution that is for us, by us, that is supporting, you know, Muslim families in need? You know, Philadelphia is one of the largest and poorest cities in this nation. And we have the largest, you know, Muslim population, you know, well, I would say the largest Black Muslim population, but one of the largest Muslim populations um, in, you know, in, in this nation. So... For me, it's about giving back to community. It's about giving back to to my community. Um, we we turn the iftar that we do at City Hall to a fundraiser where we raise funds. And in, in 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 twenty 
23, for example, we gave, we literally gave checks to families before the, um, Eid, the Eid holiday from, from the proceeds that we, um, uh, gain from the um, iftar dinner that we did. And so we give monetary gifts. We, 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 you know, during the pandemic, we did food distributions and, and we did um, winter warmth um, distributions where we, you know, gave warm clothing items and hats and scarves and gloves. So it's all about giving back to the community. Um, it, it's something that I hope that I'm still doing even when I retire, because I just, I think it's so important you know, for us to to have our own institutions that that our community um, can benefit from. Exactly. Um, is there a website or, you know, let's say someone's listening to this and they want to donate to that to Pref? Is there somewhere yes. they can go I, to? Well, let me. I I I should know it by heart, but it's um, Philly Ramadan in Eid. Let me look it up. I'm I'm going. I'll give it to you in one second. I mean, if you just Google Philly, Philadelphia Ramadan and Eid Fund, it'll come up. But let me see, Philadelphia. And we're also on like um all the all the social media um sites. So we're on we're we're on Facebook, we're on um Twitter, and we're uh also on um Instagram under Philadelphia Ramadan and Eid Fund. And uh the website is phillyramadaneedfund.org. Okay. And I'll make sure we I put that on the show notes as well if anyone wants to um, learn more about that or contribute to it. Um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I didn't, I grew up um, in a Jehovah's Witness uh, household, so we didn't mm-hmm. celebrate, you know, anything um, related to holidays. And um, so I can imagine, you know, that eat being a big celebration for your family and and then, you know, wanting to celebrate in that way and just giving that to another child and another family so that, you know, they can have a tradition as well. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about, what is it? Evolve Solutions. We've talked about Engage. Um, you just spoke about uh, the Philadelphia Ramadan and Eid Fund, and um, I'm sure there there's there's other things that you do, um, mm-hmm. but I want to know how do you balance your responsibilities um, and show up, you know, as in these different roles like a mother, uh, a wife, a friend, a community organizer. How do you you balance your life? How do you have that work life balance? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Especially with this toddler girl, it's a lot. <laughs> um, because uh, I always tell people, you know, I I literally, you know, I I and I and I think I'll, I'll talk about that more um, uh, a little bit later. But so it's by the grace and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Honestly, I, I mean, it, it, it's no other way that I can do all the things. I don't, I, sometimes I don't even know how I do all the things that I do. I, I'm, I'm accustomed to hard work, to getting a lot of work done and, you know, um, in, in, in a day, you know, some days I, I work harder than others, you know, and I try to be super organized. So for me, that's at the beginning of every week, writing a list, what are all the things you have to do for each client, for engage 
what is the person what are the personal responsibilities that you have i literally write my list organize it in categories and i work my list and that might sound really simple but it's 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 just the only it's like what helps me to stay organized and you know what i also um so scheduling everything compartmentalizing things um is important um but also more recently, I've started to be really intentional about self-care. Um, and, and it's really been the, the difference for me. Um, so so if that means, you know, going to the gym, uh, going to the hair salon, going to the nail salon, you know, um, uh, my skincare routine or eating healthfully. You know, I, I started this whole weight loss journey in June. I've lost over 30 pounds since June. Congratulations. So I, I, thank you. <laughs> so I've just been trying to take better care of me. That is really what's most important because, you know, for, for, for years, I just kind of didn't take care of myself. And I was just like working, working, mm-hmm. working, and just really not taking time for me. And, you know, I, I made a decision to myself, especially after I had my 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 toddler, my youngest daughter, um, that, you know, I need to be okay. I need to be, you know, healthy. I need to be around for, for my children. And, you know, um, and, you know, that you always hear, you, you, you always uh, hear this story about how, you know, this person that worked, you know, like a dog every single day, they passed away. And then the next mm-hmm. day someone filled their position and everyone moved on. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's just kind right. of like, you know, I'm just deciding, no, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to live and, and, and I'm going to, you know, take care of myself and, and you know, um, and, and take the time for myself as well. So 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 that's really, you know, I think helping me to to even be more um even to be better at the 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 my professional responsibilities and better at being a mother because I feel better. You know what I mean? I'm happier. You know, um, right. I'm more relaxed because, you know, I, I'm I'm doing the work. You know, to take care of myself. So, it's a juggle. You know, it's a lot. Sometimes I'm a little sleep deprived, but my little baby <laughs> wants to get up. You know, but you know, I, I'm I'm getting it done. And 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 one thing that I really you know should mention also, I have an extremely supportive, loving husband that is my partner in all things. And and I wouldn't be able to do all of the things that I'm doing without his love and support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, I do hear, you know, we, we all hear about, you know, the burnout, the no time for this, no time for that. And I'm glad that you stated that you, you basically just had to be, to make time for it. You had to be intentional mm-hmm. about it because otherwise it's never going to, it's never going to get right. incorporated in there. Um, and so at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned your adult daughter and mm-hmm. um, just recently, you know, people found out you have a toddler too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to know, because you do have two daughters, right? Yeah. What do you hope that they gain from you as they watch you maneuver within these different areas of your life? Hmm. So my daughter, Layla, you know, she's I had my daughter in my first marriage that I mentioned when I was young. Um, and, and then I remarried uh, in 2020 and, and, and had my 
second daughter in 2021. Um, so what I, you know, my daughter Layla helps to run my consulting firm, um, you know, uh, after college, uh, she, she worked, uh, she, she, she did take a job working for one of the, um, state representatives here in Philly. And then after that, I was like, you know, I need you to come and work with me. And, you know, so, um, I, I feel like that, you know, since she was a teenager, I've been grooming her, you know, to, you know, she, she, in high school, she interned for city council in college, she interned for the state Senate, you know, and when she finished college, she, she, uh, she, uh, worked for a state representative. So she has been working in civic engagement and in politics and, um, and, and really taught her how to, uh, you know, be a leader, you know, at a very young age. And, 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 you know, what, what I want, um, what I want her to 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 gain in life is is just for her to just have the ability to do whatever she wants to do. You know, I want her to take away from what she's seen me accomplish. You know, starting my own business, um, working in leadership roles, um, starting a nonprofit organization where I'm giving back to community. I want her to look at these things and say, hey, my mom did it, so, you know, I can do it. You know, I want her to to feel, you know, empowered, you know, and I, and I want her more than anything, both of my daughters, you know, um, I want them to be happy. You know, that that is, that's my constant dua. That's, I can get, I'm always getting emotional because it's my daily dua at night. I always ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant them happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I want them to enjoy their lives um, and, and to be kind, you know, to, to be kind people, you know, who, 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 who are, who are uh, respected, you know, that, 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 that have, you know, a sense that, that have a sense of respect for themselves, but, but also, who care about, you know, um, the way community um, perceives them, you know, as well. I, I that Those things were always really important to me. Um, but, but I think them being happy is like probably my number one, um, is, is for them to be happy and have peace um, and, 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 and to be content in, in all that they do and to know that they can do absolutely anything um, through 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 perseverance and and, and, and and hard work. So what would you say to someone who wants to get involved in their community, whether that's you know in politics, community organizing, starting their own organization uh, to serve the community, what would you say to them um, if they wanted to if they're thinking about getting involved or don't feel that, you know, they can do it or, um, you know, just 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 have this internal desire to do so, but haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I said earlier, civic engagement is for everyone. Um, so it can seem a little intimidating, you know, to get involved. Um, but we all need to remember that, you know, political life and social change are not something that is limited to just a few individuals. Um, at, at any age, you know, in, in all places and, and for all people, there is a way to, to be 
become, you know, to become involved, whether it's phone banking during election season, whether it's sending text messages, whether it's canvassing, knocking on doors, meeting with local leaders, um, you know, um, meeting with organizations, you know, share your views. That's literally the definition of civic engagement is to, you know, um, for an individual or a group of people to come together and establish change for their community. Um, you know what I mean? That's literally what civic engagement, what, what civic engagement is. And, you know, so advocating for change, you know, um, there's always something, you know, that we can be advocating for to change, you know, um, and, and, you know, um, providing those testimonies, you know, uh, Establishing resources that influence, you know, bills and laws and, you know, even running for office, like I've said before, you know, the sky is the limit, you know, and in 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 if there are plenty of people and I always say, you know, I, I know elected officials who don't do who who do not have college degrees. You know, you don't have to be super educated. You don't have to, you know, come from a certain family. You 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 can be, show up as who you are um, and, and be an individual that is hardworking, that wants to establish change for your community and is passionate about the work. Um, just, you know, show up and, 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 you know, um, you can, you can always, you know, reach out to other elected officials in your area, um, and community leaders, you know, for, for advice and, and, and guidance as well. And, um, as we come to a close, are there any parting words that you would like to um, state to our community or um, just anything that you would like to state that we didn't necessarily get to cover? Um, you know, I think we covered a lot. I, I want to say thank <laughs> you again to to you, Latasha, and Sapelo Square for having me um, on, 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 on your podcast. And um, I, I've always admired your work and, and I'm truly, truly honored to, to, to be a part of this podcast today. And, um, you know, what, what can I say? Make dua for me, you know, <laughs> make dua for me uh, because it's not always easy. You know, there is some adversity, as you can imagine, you know, being Black and Muslim and women and being in leadership positions. Um and you know, just just make dua for me, and 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 you know, um, try to participate, you know, um, in civic engagement. And, you know, um, uh, check out my little real series. Uh, uh, it's on Mgage's uh, Instagram page, but it's also on my Instagram page and on my TikTok under Salima Civics. And it's called Salima's 60 Seconds of Civic Engagement. And I just do, they're, they're over 60 seconds, but they're less than two, they're less than two minutes. And um, they, they're just little quick, you know, uh, uh, you know, updates on, you know, topics in civic engagement, whether it be voting or how to establish a bill is the topic I'm talking about this week. And, you know, African-American community engagement and the roles and responsibilities of elected officials. They're just, you know, less than two minute videos. Check them out. You know, you can follow me at Salima Civics on Instagram, um, Salima Suswell on Facebook and um, Twitter. And um, yeah, just try to be supportive of, 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 of the work. And um, yeah, let me know how I can help you. Okay. Well, I, I also want to say that I, you know, I am, um, 
uh, I said in the beginning, I was excited for this conversation and you didn't disappoint. So mm-hmm. we are honored to have you as as a guest uh, on On The Square. So we really appreciate it. And I want to thank you for being here. I'm really glad. Uh, it's my pleasure. And thank you all for uh, tuning in to this episode of On The Square, Real Talk on Race and Islam in the Americas, a special podcast series brought to you by Sapelo Square and The Maiden. Thanks to our guest, Salima Suswell. You can find more information about what we discussed, including links and more by visiting sapelosquare.com forward slash on the square or themaydan.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is provided by Fanatic on Beats. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.